Hi, this is Mark Brady. I'm the pastor at Anchor Faith Church in Valdosta, Georgia. I want to thank you for listening to our podcast today. We believe it will bless you and minister to you. I get ready to receive a word from God. Okay, Romans chapter 12, verse 1. I'm going to read it out of the, the Passion Translation. Um, beloved friends, what should be our response to God's marvelous mercies? The answer is to surrender yourselves to God to be his sacred living sacrifices. Everyone say sacrifices. And live in holiness. Mm. Don't hear a lot of that today, do we? And live in holiness, experiencing all that delights his heart. For this becomes your genuine expression of worship. Did you know that your life can be a life of worship? It doesn't just have to be something we come in here and do before I get up here and preach. It doesn't have to be something that a band leads you into. It doesn't have to include raising of your hands and singing with your mouth. Those are forms of worship, but that is not worship in and of itself. The worship that God is looking for out of every one of us is surrender. The worship that God is looking for out of each one of us is not just with our mouths, but it's with our lives. Surrendered to him, he says to live in holiness. Now look what he says, look at what he says in verse 2. Stop imitating the ideals and opinions of the culture around you, but be inwardly transformed. By the Holy Spirit through a total reformation of how you think. You see those two words, total reformation of how you think. Where's, where's the surrender taking place? It's in my mind first. I have to first surrender to God in my mind what I'm thinking. Because how I live follows how I think. How I think instructs my life. My mind instructs or directs the, the direction of my life. He says, through a total reformation of how you think. This will empower you to discern God's will as you live in a beautiful life, satisfying and perfect in his eyes. I want to read it to you out of a few other passages here real quick. In the Amplified, it reads this way. Do not be conformed. This is verse 2. Do not be conformed to this world, this age. And see, we need to understand something real quick, that when we talk about the world, I think I've brought this out before, we're not talking about just the, the natural elements of the world or the earth, the planet earth. We're talking about this age, meaning its values, its culture, uh, what its passions are, what it strives after. And, and don't you notice in our world today, we see a deterioration of all those things. We see a, a dismantling of values. I read a thing the other day that said, if you want to be, um, you know, like we're talking about distinct, if you want to stand out today, just live like people used to live 50 years ago. Somebody shared with me a clip this past week of uh, how many of y'all remember the Andy Griffith show? Okay, black and white, right? Andy Griffith, Opie's dad. And he was directing and instructing Opie. 
on something that he had stolen something or or whatnot. And and it was just the 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 context of the film was how far we have fallen in 70 years. Well, how do we get there? How do we get to the to the disrespect? I mean, compare that clip of Andy Griffith with Opie to Disney today. I mean, you ever watch some of these Disney shows? You ever stop, you know, you just flip it on for your kids to entertain them while you're busy doing other stuff? And, and, and you, you've ever just stopped in the room and just said, wow, what are they really saying? I mean, there's a show that I've seen where the adults are the idiots. Come on. The adults don't know nothing. And the kids are running the thing. They're going on dates. They live in penthouses. They're, they're telling the adults what to do. And, and the, the adults are utter buffoons. They trip and they fall and they spill stuff. And, and they can't put a sentence together. And they're taking commands from kids. I mean, how do we get here? How do we get from Andy Griffith to, to, to Dopey? Come on now. A deterioration, guys. And this was, I mean, the Andy Griffith show's not that old. Was that only in the 50s? 50s, 60s? I mean, you're talking, you know, 50, 60, 70 years ago. We're not talking that long ago, but over time. I mean, I grew up on a show that, that you know, might have even been borderline, but at least Tim Allen knew how to keep his kids in line on home improvement, man. Right? I mean, compare Tim Allen to some of these buffoon dads that show up on these shows today. And that was just 30 years ago. But it's a deterioration. It's, it's, a deterior, it's, it's an introduction of disrespect. It's an introduction of dishonor. We dishonor everything in this country. It doesn't matter who's in office. You can find them mocking them and making fun of them on a late night TV show. Any little thing they do. They fall off a bike. They can't put two words together. Uh, they, 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 they say something dumb in front of everybody. And it's just automatic dishonor. Automatically uh, disrespect. Automatic, you know, you're, you, you're, just, you're just scum like I am. We've got to do something about this. It's a deterioration of values. And he says here, stop imitating the ideals and opinions. Oh, don't we love our opinions? the ideals and opinions of the culture around you, but be, uh, uh, wait, I'm reading out of the Amplified, right? We got the Amplified up there. I'm getting ahead of myself. Do not be conformed to this world, fashioned after and adapted to its external superficial customs, but be transformed, changed by the entire renewal of your mind, by its new ideals and its new attitude so that you may prove for yourselves what is the good and acceptable and perfect will of God, even the thing which is good and acceptable and perfect in his sight for you. And where I was getting to um, in the, the, uh, the message translation, look at how it reads in verse two. Probably my favorite translation of this passage. Don't become so well adjusted to your culture that you fit into it without even thinking. Ma'am without even thinking. Instead, fix your attention on God. Notice the difference. I will adapt and adjust to culture without even thinking, but if I'm going to become like the kingdom, I'm going to have to fix my attention. None of us are going to accidentally represent the kingdom of God. 
None of us are just automatically going to represent. I'm going to tell you something. Reading your Bible will not automatically cause you to present and represent the kingdom of God. Going to church does not mean you automatically represent. No, he says, fix your attention. Fix your attention to what's happening Monday through Friday, Saturday, Sunday after you leave this place. Amen. It's not automatic. Instead, fix your attention on God. You'll be changed, where? From the inside out. The world wants to change you from the outside in. Readily recognize what he wants from you and quickly respond to it. Unlike the culture around you, always dragging you down to its level of immaturity, God brings the best out of you, develops well-formed maturity in you. Here's the thought that I want us to recognize. Today we're going to be we're going to talk about hopefully we'll get there. We're going to talk about being distinct by power. Distinct by power. We've spent uh the first week, really it was a couple weeks because of last week with our youth. And I kind of tagged on to that. But we spent the first week talking about how the word makes us distinct. That when you become one that lives by the word of God, you are going to stand out. You are going to be separate. You are going to be set apart. Amen? The Bible, uh, Jesus said, I have already sanctified them or set them apart, cleansed them by your word. Your word is truth. And how many of you know truth is on trial today? We live in a world that wants to challenge and question everything. We live in a world where people don't even want absolutes anymore. Nothing's absolute. When you start challenging and questioning the gender of somebody, that ought to be the most simplest common sense. I mean, you're not even making a decision. You're not deciding what someone is. You discover what someone is. Hello. It's quiet in this conservative church this morning. We're deciding things that aren't to be decided. It's not up to you to decide. But when we start questioning and challenging and, and, and confronting things that are absolutes, that have already been determined, that have already been set in place, then everything else is up for grabs. And truth is on trial today. And we have to be a people of truth. We have to be a people that stand by the word of God, stand on the word of God, speak the word of God, boldly proclaim the word of God. Amen. So we can't let that down. The second thing that we're going to look at today is being distinct by power. How power will make you and I distinct. But before I get there, I got I to gotta help us understand this thing about being distinguished. The only alternative to being distinct is blending in. It's the only alternative. You're either transformed or you are conformed. You're either transformed by the word or you are conformed to the world. If you reject and refuse to stand out, to be set apart, then your only alternative is to blend in. The only alternative is to become like your surrounding. Think about it. I mean, it's very simple. I'm either set apart from what's around me, or I'm becoming like what's around me. And again, he says, if you want to live distinct, you're going to have to give some intention. You're going to have to give some focus. It's going to have to consume you. 
I was talking about this with Pastor Earl at youth camp just a couple weeks ago, and just talking about this thought uh, of not just even in the kingdom of God, but, but you know, him and I, we both pastor Anchor Faith Churches. I sat up under him. I was uh, uh, serving under him, still serve under him to this day. I still am accountable. That's my pastor. But literally in St. Augustine, Florida, in Anchor Faith Church in St. Augustine, Florida, I was there for just a little over eight years, my wife and I. We served on staff, and, and there were so many ways, uh, if you know Pastor Earl, if you've gotten to hear him minister, um, if you haven't, he comes through here all the time. He'll be here in October, as we just mentioned. But there's so many times where we just do things different. And so I was, I was talking to Pastor about this, and I was like, you know, there's times where honestly... I'm not trying to be distinct. I'm not trying to approach this from a different angle. I'm not trying to reject what what culture is saying and what culture is doing. And let me just find another way to do it or let me push back or let me. I'm not trying, but it just seems we're living in days where you're being forced to either stand your ground or buy into what they're selling. We're just living in days where, where, I mean, just like what happened a couple weeks ago with Roe v. Wade being overturned. And the expectations that are set on that from the church I'm talking about. I, I, I mean, I'm just, I'm still floored that the responses from the church on this matter. And so it's things like this that it's like, you know, they're, they're, I, I'm not trying to just stand out, to stand out. Let me tell you something. If your goal is to be distinct, you end up weird. If your goal is to be distinct, well, I'm going to be distinguished. I'm going to to be different. I'm not going to sound like everybody else. I I, I just want to stand out. Then then you're going to end up weird because you, you have the wrong motives. You have the wrong goal. The goal isn't to be distinct. The goal is to live according to the kingdom. The byproduct you're going to be distinct. You're going to be distinguishable. But you understand the difference in my motive. You know, some of us, we can just be harsh and abrasive and and brash about our truth and about our word and about our political position and about who we like and who we don't like, that we never even consult the king on the matter. And now it's just internal. How can I be different from everybody else? But no, What I'm doing is I'm taking every matter to the king. You remember when Jesus bent down in the dirt and began riding in the sand when they wanted a response out of him? And I'm going to tell you right now, some of you, the world is going to want a response from you. And it's not going to be a moment to shout at the the mountaintops everything you know and everything you think and everything you want to say and everything you believe. It's going to be a moment to... What's he doing? Hearing from heaven. He's hearing from the king. Don't ever speak until you have first heard. We don't need a church that just speaks quickly about every little thing. We need a church that hears from heaven and then says, here's what the king says. This isn't Anchor Faith Church's position. This isn't Pastor Mark's appeal. This isn't my opinion. This is what the king of glory says. This is what the king of kings and the Lord of lords has to say. My opinion means nothing, just like your opinion means nothing. Let's quit valuing and exalting our opinions above the word of God. 
And we got people that are speaking on behalf of the king that have never been before the king. And I don't want to speak on behalf of him until I have been before him in prayer, hearing from the Holy Spirit because he's the teacher, he's the guide, he's the leader. But this idea of distinction is if you want to live your life pushing back on that, well, I don't, you know, I'm not really that kind of person. I don't want to be set apart. I don't want to be, uh, you, know, I, you know, I'm not wanting to stand out. I'm not wanting to create a, create a ruckus. I'm not trying to, you know, create a rise in people. Then, then you are ultimately going to find yourself going along, blending in, becoming like what's surrounding you. And remember, you can't change what you become. If it's changing you, you can't change it. And we're finding now that we're, we're having to be bold within circles we thought people were with us. Come on. We're, we're having to be bold in these days, and they're coming even more than what we're experiencing today. Well, you thought you were surrounded by people that were like you, and you're finding out, whoa, wait a minute. I don't attest to that. I don't taint to that. I don't rise to that. I'm not, that's not the value of the king. And we're going to be finding ourselves distinct and set apart in arenas and circles that we thought we were with the set apart. Let me tell you why this is so important. I actually just had a conversation with my friend down here about this this morning. This is why this idea of distinction, being distinguished, is so important. Because God values purity. Let me get on this real quick and then I'll move on. God values purity. And God is not coming back for an impure church. Guys, let me tell you, God's not coming back for a 98% got it together church. He's coming back for a holy, spotless, blameless church. That doesn't mean we're all a bunch of perfect people that never miss it, never blow it. But our intentions and our motives and our hearts are pure. God values purity. But the enemy values confusion. What is confusion? It's a contamination of what was pure. It's an introducing little by little contaminants, tolerating little bit here and accepting a little bit there. And before you know it, I mean, if I told you I was making you a batch of brownies, and, and man, they're amazing. It's the, it's the best batch of brownies I've ever made. These brownies are off the chart. But there's a little bit of dog poop in there. Sounds disgusting, doesn't it? But yet we try to offer God the same thing. It's mostly good. It's mostly righteous. It's mostly uh, everything you're looking for. But it's just this little piece that... I'm not offering that to God. No, not because it's contaminated. It's not pure. I didn't give you guys this verse, so if you could pull it up, Revel uh, Revelations chapter 3. Revelations chapter 3. 
I want to show you why this effort of distinction is so important. Guys, I, I, I promise you, I'm not just coming up here as an irritated, frustrated old man just trying to tell you that we're all supposed to be living holy and pure and set apart. I'm telling you what the king is after. I'm telling you what he's created you to be. I'm telling you that it compromises our mission and our efforts for the kingdom of God if we tolerate and accept what is not of the king. And you and I are to reintroduce purity back into an immoral society. You and I are to reintroduce peace in the midst of anxiousness. You and I are supposed to be calming storms, not just trying to ride them out or hoping that we die in it. You and I are supposed to be bringing hope to a hopeless world. We're supposed to be eradicating darkness, pushing back on darkness, not accepting it and saying, well, that's okay. It's okay if they do it. And then we turn into a bunch of escapists that are just trying to get out of here rather than bringing heaven here. We've got to understand the mission. Revelation chapter 3, verse 15, this is what he says. I know your works, that you are neither cold nor hot. I could wish you were cold or hot. Why didn't he say, I could wish you were hot? We'll come back to that. So then, because you are lukewarm, And neither cold nor hot, I will vomit you out of my mouth. That's God speaking. And you know who he's talking to? (laughs) He's not talking to unbelievers. He's not talking to strippers. He's not talking to to drug addicts and alcoholics. He's not talking to wife beaters and, and rapists. He's talking to the church. This is written to a church. Where is the fear of the Lord in the church today? Where is a desire and passion to live holy, a zeal to say, God, if it's not of you, I don't want any part of it. And it shouldn't have a part of me. He says, I will vomit you out of my mouth. Look at how it reads in the message. I know you inside and out and find little to my liking. You're not cold. You're not hot. Far better to be either cold or hot. You're stale. You're stagnant. You make me want to vomit. Why didn't he say, I wish that you would just be hot? He said, I wish you would at least be cold. If you're going to be one or the other, be, be either cold or be hot. Here's why. Because cold can't be confused as hot. And hot can't be confused as cold. Have you ever tried to save a religious person? Lukewarm is confusing. Is it cold? Is it hot? See, if they're cold, I can get them hot. Because it's easy to recognize you're cold. There's no desire, there's no passion, there's no zeal for the things of God. But man, God's got a plan, God's got a purpose. And if they're hot, man, you're on fire for God. You're, you're producing kingdom results. You're the fruit of the spirits within you, the gifts of the spirit operating in your life. You're a demonstration and a representation of the kingdom of God. But when you're lukewarm, you think you're one thing, but you're not. And that's the toughest group to reach. 
That's the confused ones, or as the Bible says, the deceived ones. Lukewarm is deceiving. Lukewarm is contamination. Lukewarm is trying to be one thing, but it's really this, but I think I'm this. He says, I wish that you would just be cold so I can get you hot. And I wish that you would just be hot so you could do what I need you to do for the kingdom of God. But when you're lukewarm, I can't do anything with that. I'm hoping and praying. I'm serious that the religious people, the religious activity is what needs to wake up in this day and age. I'm telling you right now, we're about to see a revival where unbelievers, lost people, they're going to come running to this kingdom because you and I are going to represent it so well. Because we're going to preach it boldly. Because we're going to proclaim it with the utter truth. We are not backing down. But it's the religious. It's the ones that think they're in when they're not. It's the ones that want to pick the Bible apart and says, why accept this, this, and this, but not that, that, and that. It's not going to work anymore. Down with religion. Down with inferior activity. Down with something that pretends to be one thing, but it's not. And I'm I'm seeing the religious strongholds, they're breaking. They're being loosed. And I'm praying for the grace and mercy of God upon their lives, that they will have their eyes open, that they will see that they will have a Saul on the way to Damascus experience and encounter with the one true God. The time is running out. Somebody just sent me a, pro- a prophecy just a couple of days ago that the, the, the time for the lukewarm is running short. The time for the lukewarm is running short. It's time to be distinct. It's time to be distinct. It's time to quit laying down. I'm not telling you to rally. I'm not telling you to, to have, uh, have uh, you, know, you know, I don't know what, any, this isn't a political thing. This is a biblical thing. This is a kingdom thing, guys. This, this is actually more political than you think it is. It's not red and blue. It's kingdom or rebellion. The most dangerous word in the kingdom is rebellion. And on July 4th weekend, you know what the second most dangerous word in the kingdom is? Independence. Freedom. The thing that we celebrate, the thing that we love, and we ought to. But in the kingdom of God, you are dependent on a king that loves you more than you'll ever know. That's what we're going to talk about next week. Being distinct by love. How having the love of God will cause you to be set apart and distinct. But we got to define the love of God according to the word, not what the world wants to redefine it as. So you don't want to miss that. Acts chapter 1. I pray that I can do this quickly so I can send you on your way. Pray that I can offend you as fast as I can. And if you don't like what I have to say, my wife and I, we are leaving. We're going out of town to an undisclosed location this afternoon. We're going to work on our marriage. You can take that however you want. You can send the email, and I will delete it when I get back. 
Acts chapter 1, verse 8. Acts chapter 1, verse 8, and the Amplified reads this way, but you shall receive power. Everyone say power. A power is ability, efficiency, and might. This is what the Amplified says. You shall receive power, ability, efficiency, and might when the Holy Spirit, everyone say Holy Spirit, has come upon you, and you shall be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and to the ends, the very bounds of the earth. You shall receive power, ability, efficiency, and might when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. This is spoken by Jesus to his disciples just before he ascends into heaven. If you read the next few verses, he ascends into heaven. His disciples watch him go up, and then the angel comes down and says, why are you staring into the clouds? He is no longer here. You need to go. And he tells them to what? Tarry and wait for the promise of the Father when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. Apparently, God never intended for his church to operate without power. This might be, uh, of all the distinguishing factors that we're going to address, word, power, love, uh, and any others that we look into, this might be the one that is most needed in the church today, is power. Today, we have accepted a reality of doing church and living for God void of power. This word power in the Greek is the word dunamis. Everyone say dunamis. Dunamis. It means this, force, miraculous power. Force, miraculous power, ability, mighty work, mighty work, and strength. In fact, many times when you see the word work, or the word miracle, in the New Testament, it's actually defined as dunamis, actually defined as power. It's a miraculous power that is not naturally obtainable or naturally sustainable, meaning I don't get it on my own and I don't keep it on my own. I have to tap into God's power source. Dunamis. The word uh, in the Greek actually appears in the New Testament over 120 times. 120 times. And in the Old Testament, it actually appears in different forms 382 times. We're talking over 500 times. In the Word of God, this word power shows up. Power. That God it desired and uh, set his church on a standard of power. Not just preaching and teaching. Not just, uh, you know, uh, religious activity. In fact, there's a verse, we've looked at it before, we'll look at it again today, that, that there will be a people in the last days that they will actually have a form of godliness. But what? Deny the power. You don't need power to put on a show. 
You don't need power to perform. You don't need power to hold a Bible study. You don't need power to to sing Christian songs. I mean, I'm afraid today in a lot of American churches that we have performers. Performers on stage. I know this to be true. I know this to be a fact. Now, I'm not saying that just because you have an anointed or gifted musician, we've also accepted the other ditch on the other side of the road that you have to be horrible at at music to be called by God. That is not a true statement. If you actually look in the Old Testament, they called for the best of the musicians, the most skilled carpenters, the most skilled uh, of, of, of any craftsmanship. God has gifted and anointed, but it's up to us whether we use the gift and the anointing for the church, for the king, or for the world. And the world is really getting the best of the king's talent. It's called burying it. It's called digging a hole. And sticking it in the ground. No, we need to understand that the power, the power of God ought to be in demonstration and in manifestation in the church today. God never intended for his church to operate without power. Here's something else we need to understand about this power. God doesn't turn it on and off. There's no switch to God's power. So the question is not, is God operating in power? The question is, is my faith connecting to his power? Let me give you a couple quick passages and then we'll get into this. Luke chapter 5, verse 17. Luke chapter 5 and verse 17. One of those days as he was teaching, there were Pharisees and teachers of the law sitting by who had come from every village and town of Galilee and Judea and from Jerusalem. And the power of the Lord was present with him to heal them. The power of the Lord was present with Jesus to heal those that were in the room. This is the instance where they cut a roof in the, uh, uh, cut a hole in the roof. And drop the lame man down before Jesus says the power of the Lord was present. Got another instance here in Mark chapter 5. Mark chapter 5. Because everyone wants to ask the question when we start talking about power, we start talking about miracles, well, why aren't we seeing them? Why aren't they happening? It, it, why? Let me tell you something. Not even the Bible records every miracle that took place. John literally said, if there was, if the, the sky was the paper and the ocean was the ink, we still would not be able to record everything. Let me tell you, just because you're not hearing it doesn't mean it's not happening. If some of y'all would start coming with your testimonies of when power showed up in your lives, then we might be able to share with others. But there's happening throughout the, there's stuff happening throughout the week where power is being demonstrated. Miraculous power is being demonstrated. Power over finances, power over sickness and disease, power over demonic spirits. Come on. What we just witnessed a couple weeks ago, that was the power of God. In a climate like this, we saw something like that overturned in this administration. That's, That's just God. You can call it whatever natural thing you want to call it, but it's God. 
And God's hand is not short. God's hand is still performing. God's hand is still working. Look at this in Mark chapter 5, verse 25. Now a woman suffering from bleeding for, for 12 years had endured much under many doctors. She had spent everything she had and was not helped at all. On the contrary, on the contrary she became worse. Having heard about Jesus, she came up behind him in the crowd and touched his clothing. For she said, if I just touch his clothes, I'll be made well. In those two verses, we have that she heard, we had that she said, and we had that she touched. She heard about Jesus, it became a confession in her mouth, and it became an action with her body. Instantly, her flow of blood ceased. And she sensed in her body that she was healed of her affliction. Immediately, watch this, Jesus realized that what? Power, dunamis, had gone out of him. He turned around in the crowd and he said, who touched my clothes? His disciples said to him, you see the crowd pressing against you, and yet you say, who touched me? But he was looking around to see who had done this. In a crowd where he's being thronged, in a crowd where he's being pressed upon, in a crowd where everybody's encroaching upon him, everybody's up in his personal private space, right? We have one person changed by the what? The power of God. It's not a question of does God have power. It's a question of does man have faith? She heard. Faith comes by hearing. In hearing by the word of God, her hearing became her confession. If I just touch, I know if I just touch, I know if I just get close. And she didn't need any precedence for that. She, there was nobody, no record up to this point of people that just simply touched him and got healed. And then the action of faith, because faith always demands action. I ought to be able to see your faith. Should be evident and visible. As an action of her faith, she stepped, believe, hearing in her, in her ears, uh, uh, thinking in her mind, believing in her heart, saying with her mouth, touching with her hand. She engages not just Jesus. She engages the power of God. And nobody else around got it. God's not switching his power on and off. I'll do it today, not today. Oh, one of our favorite prayers. Lord, if it be my will. We have his will. Are you, are you serious? His word is his will. If it be your will, Lord. Oh, and, and, and every time someone brought that to Jesus, you know what his response was? I will be thou healed. I will be thou cleansed. I will go in your healing. I will. You are forgiven. No, he's not up in heaven on, on, off. On. He's not playing with the switcher up there. No, his power is present to heal. You know, his power was present to heal in Mark chapter 6 when he went back to his hometown and they were offended by him because he was one of them. And it said he could do no mighty work. It didn't say he wouldn't do no mighty work. It said he could not do. Why? There was no drawing on the power. 
Why aren't we seeing the miracle signs and wonders? Well, number one, they are happening. We're just not hearing about them all. Number two, if they're not happening, it's not a question of God. You'll never have to work on the giving side of God. We always have to work on the receiving side of man. I'll never have to work on the giving side of God. I'll never have to to work on, okay, God, I need to get your giver up. God's power doesn't wane. God's power doesn't fall asleep. God's power doesn't slumber. God's power doesn't, I'm just, you know, having an off day today, can't seem to get the miracles coming through like like I used to. It doesn't work that way. God's power, the switch is on. And like, uh, I can't remember who said it, maybe it was Brother Hagin that used to say, you have to keep the switch of faith turned on. Keep the switch of faith turned on. That's the challenge. That's the question. Jesus, when he comes back, he's saying, will I find faith in the earth? Because power is going to be all around. But power has to partner with faith. Power must partner with faith. My power, my faith draws on his power. It's not my power. It's not my, it's not my ability. I just told you it's not obtained by you, nor is it sustained by you. You can't keep it. There's people in the Bible that have tried to keep the power for themselves. They've tried to manufacture it on their own. They've tried to be good enough, or they've tried to operate in their own ability, and they have fallen flat on their face. They have failed time and time again. Now, this is the thing about power. And I believe it's the most important reason why we're not seeing the power. When we think about the miracles, the signs and the wonders, we think about people running. We think about people coming. We think about people getting set free. We think about people getting delivered. We think about chains breaking. We think about uh, addictions. I'm not just talking about healing power. Obviously, that's a great demonstration. I'm talking about the power to get wealth. I'm talking about the power to uh, see addictions broken. I mean, I, I thank God that there's therapy. I thank God there are programs that can help people that are stuck in alcohol addiction, but there is a miracle working power of God that can break an addiction in a moment, and you'll never want it, never go back to it again. I believe that's possible. We have lost a belief in the power of God. You know how hard I have to work up here to convince you that God is powerful and that he can move and operate in your life? We think the power is for everybody else but us. We'll pray for someone else to get sick, but we can't believe God to get sick for ourselves, get healed for ourselves. The enemy has confused this element of power in the church today. And we have shrunken back and we have settled for powerlessness. We have settled for manufacturing with programs and productions what was only meant to be supplied by power. Power is supposed to fill seats, not lights and smokes and good music and good preaching and podcasts and all the other stuff we come up with. I'm not saying it's bad, but if your heart and your intent is your motive is we got to do this so we can keep them here or get them here. I tell you what, do a miracle. Watch who comes. Open up some deaf ears. Restore a marriage that was beyond repair. And watch what that witness will do. But that's what we think about when we think about power. We don't think about the pressure that comes. We don't think about the challenges that arise. We don't think about 
how the world will posture up. This is what I've noticed about power. We're a spirit-filled church. We make no, we don't hide it. We don't make any bones about it. We're a spirit-filled church, spirit-empowered church. We believe in the baptism of the Holy Spirit, believe in the Holy Spirit coming upon you. There's not one person in the, in the Bible from Genesis to Revelation that did anything powerful for the kingdom of God without the Holy Spirit, period. You cannot find one. Samson, Gideon, David, Moses, Noah, Abraham, uh, 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 anyone that did anything of, of great stature for the kingdom of God. Not even Jesus himself. Jesus didn't do one miracle, didn't preach one message, didn't calm a storm, didn't raise a dead person, didn't cast out a demon. I used to have this thought in my mind. I wonder if Jesus was, was, was healing sick kids at his elementary school. No, the answer is no. The answer is no. He did not. He did not perform one miracle until the Holy Spirit came upon him when he was baptized and came back up out of the water. It descended upon him as a dove, like a dove. This is my son in whom I'm well pleased. He goes to the wilderness to be tempted. Maybe that's a prerequisite. Maybe some of us just haven't gone to the seasons of wilderness and seasons of temptation that are preparing you for what God wants to do in your life. And then he turns water into wine. His first miracle looked more like a magic trick than a miracle. But it was so that people would believe. But there's a challenging and there is an opposition. I've recognized over time that people, religious and in the world, don't have a problem with what we do until power shows up. Until I either start talking about the Holy Spirit, who is about power, because when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, you will receive power. We just read it. Or demonstrations, miracles, signs, and wonders start happening. I have found that governments will put up with you until you start talking about power, until you start operating in some kind of power. And I'm telling you, you know, two years ago, when everything broke down, this time two years ago, I mean, y'all don't know because I don't, I don't put it out there. I'm not looking for any kind of pity parade. I'm not looking for you to feel sympathy for me. But that was probably the most challenging time to be pastoring was in the middle of, are, should we be open or should we not? If, if I could describe the last two years to you, just naturally speaking, not spiritually because I knew, but naturally, I would, I would describe the last two years as confusing. Confusing. Confusion. And this was one of the things I was talking about with pastor, you know, with, with, with COVID. They didn't even shut their doors at all. They didn't shut their doors. You want to talk about distinct. You want to talk about set apart. He did not close his doors. Now, the reasoning was because they operate a Monday through Friday preschool. And the government, the government of St. Augustine, Florida came to them and said, hey, would you mind keeping your preschool open so you could uh, help facilitate and accommodate children of healthcare workers that have to put their kids somewhere? And so he said, well, if you're going to ask me to open my doors Monday through Friday, and you trust us enough to take care of kids Monday through Friday, you sure can trust us to have people in here to worship God on a Sunday morning for two hours. But you want to talk about being set apart. 
See, the world's okay with you as long as you go with the flow. The world's okay with you, with the church, even the church, as long as we stay in our box. They will let you stay in your box. They will let you preach your little Bible studies. They will even ask you to come and pray before their government meetings. Oh, yeah. They will invite you in your churchiness. They'll invite you. They'll invite your religious activity. They're okay with that. But you start demonstrating some kind of power. You start, ta- you start showing some kind of boldness. Oh, man, you better be ready because all hell about to break loose. Isn't it amazing that the devil is okay? Isn't that interesting? The, devil's, the devil is okay. He, was, he had no clue with churches going online and live streaming two years ago. And we had no clue what we were doing because we'd never done it. That in of itself set us apart. I became distinct in one weekend. I became distinguished. You're not online? Every, all my pastor friends found out I'm not online. They didn't care before. Or, do you know all the people you're missing? Do you know all the people that you're not, you, you know how we're getting this out? And they're telling me how, you know, their, their online uh, uh, attendance grew 800%. Yeah, you really think all those people on the other side of the camera, and don't look at me with your religious faces this morning. You think you're, at, you're engaged on the other side of that TV screen? I mean, I can't keep some of you asleep, uh, awake in here. And I'm staring right at you. I can only imagine what you're doing in your PJs in your bed with a cup of coffee and a cinnamon roll. And I'm up on a screen. We got 932 views. Yeah, I wonder how many of them are locked and loaded into what's happening right now. I'm not saying everybody's disengaged and disconnected. But I'm telling you, man, I know I've watched uh, messages on YouTube or listened to podcasts. And 15 minutes goes by and I'm like, wait a minute, I, I I don't remember a thing they just said. I got to rewind that. Become distinct real quick. Become distinguished real quick. Well, the world was inviting. We'll we'll supply you with the equipment. They stole it out of the equipment. I couldn't even get the equipment to go online. It was all sold out. I mean, within a weekend. Because the world was pushing. We'll let you Facebook Live for free. We'll give you a free YouTube account for the first three months. You don't even have to pay us for this service. Da, da, da. Oh, yeah. They want you online. And then the second you say something that's out of line with what they believe, guess what they're going to do to you? Bloop. Oh, yeah. They want you under their control. It's all manipulation, guys. You think the devil wants the kingdom uh, uh, advanced through technology and going around the world? Now, he'll allow the religious stuff, but, man, you start, you start coming up against some stuff. You start saying some stuff. You start speaking some stuff. And the moment that you upset them, well, you've given them all the power at that point because your doors are locked. Come on, guys. Power is what the enemy's after. Power is the number one thing he's tried to imitate from the beginning. He's trying to infiltrate the church to make it powerless so he can become powerful. 
That's what he was. Guys, he wasn't after Adam and Eve for anything else other than the crown. He wanted their authority. He wanted their power. They were made to rule and reign on earth. And he said, if I can get them to forfeit their right to rule on earth and and submit it to me by disobeying God. He's been doing this from the beginning. Genesis chapter 3 started this whole process. He's been after one thing, your authority and your power. And now the Bible actually calls him the ruler of this age, the God of this world. It worked. And he has churches still forfeiting and handing over their power. John chapter 14, verse 12. In the message, it reads this way. The person who trusts me will not only do what I'm doing, but even greater things because I, on my way to the Father, and giving you the same work to do that I've been doing, you can count on it. He designed you, propositioned you to be in this earth to bring heaven to earth and to produce heavenly results in a natural environment. He has put you here to heal the sick, to cast out demons, to, 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 to uh, rebuke and stand against uh, demonic strongholds. He's put you here to produce power for the kingdom of God. Not just to be the best person you can. Not to just take as many notes as you can and attend as many services as you can and listen to as many podcasts as you can and be the best person you can. He put you here for power to literally unravel demonic strongholds, to literally dismantle and destroy idols in this world. It might sound like a taunt task, but let me give you four ways that the church is called to operate in power in these last days. Four ways, and I'll let you go. We're going to bring the fireworks before it's even dark enough. Amen? Number one, you need power to preach boldly. You need power to preach boldly. I thought you were the preacher. No, I'm the pastor, and I'm preaching, but it's not relegated to me. It's not relegated to a pulpit. It's not relegated to to a stand with the Bible and some notes. the, the, The power to preach belongs to every believer. We just read it in Acts chapter 1 verse 8, and the Holy Spirit will come upon you. You will receive power to what? Be my witnesses. Did you know you need power to be a witness? We've been trying to witness without the power of the Holy Spirit. And we've done a decent job as far as telling people about Jesus. But I'm telling you right now, you'll you'll find conflict real quick when you start introducing the kingdom, but you can't produce it. You're going to have a problem. You're going to have a problem when you start showing people the real word of God, and their first question is, where's the power? Well, why aren't we seeing people healed today? And and then they're going to ask the question, why can't we? I mean, why aren't we asking that question? Why have we settled for putting up with sickness and disease? Or as we saw two years ago, running from sickness and disease rather than standing against it and saying, no, not in this place. You will live and not die. That does not control me. Fear does not control me. 
Oh, man, we need, we need the boldness to preach. Or, in essence, all I'm saying is the power to witness. Maybe you've never joined the two together, but preaching boldly and witnessing are the exact same thing, according to the word. You see, we, we dumb everything down. We, we, we diffuse it down to its simplest, most surface levels. But at the end of the day, witnessing is preaching boldly, not just about Jesus. Many of us are preaching about Jesus and not preaching about what Jesus preached about. And Jesus did not preach about Jesus. Jesus did not preach about the cross. Jesus did not preach about salvation. Jesus did not preach about being born again. All the things that we preach, that we consume our pulpits with, he never preached about those. You can't find it in the Bible. He preached about the kingdom. The kingdom of God is like this, and the kingdom of God is like that, and the kingdom of God. He didn't preach about a place you're going to go. He preached about a place you're going to bring. We've got to wake up. We've been, we've been sold a bill of goods by the devil himself. Just preach this. Just preach this. Just keep it surface. I'm not saying all those things are wrong. I'm just saying Jesus' ministry was not centered around heaven, getting saved, getting born again, asking Jesus into my heart, the cross, the crucifixion. That was not the crux of Jesus' ministry. The essence of his ministry was the kingdom of God. And he preached it and he demonstrated it. Yeah, all the religious, all the religious devils right now are having a heyday with what I just said. Because I just, I just probably killed every sacred cow you had. At least two-thirds of them. No, we need a power to preach boldly. 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 6. For this reason, I remind you to fan into flame the gift of God, which is in you through the laying on of my hands. For God gave us a spirit, uh, not of fear, but of what? You need a spirit of power to stand against a spirit of fear. We have been, I talked about this on Wednesday. We've been calling fear a feeling when it's really a spirit. You're not just feeling fearful. There's a spirit behind that. And I need a spirit of power, love, and a sound mind to confront. Now, we've never made this connection before. Maybe you haven't. In verse 8, look what it goes on to say. Therefore, do not be ashamed of the testimony about our Lord, nor of me, his prisoner, but share in suffering for the gospel by the power of God. Why is he saying God has not given us a spirit of fear or a spirit of timidity? He's talking to Timothy and talking about how he's sharing his faith. Don't be ashamed. Don't be fearful. What's he saying? You need power to be bold. You need power to share the word. You need power to live and demonstrate the kingdom of God. In Acts chapter 4 verse 7. Uh, verse 5, Acts chapter 4, verse 5. The next day, their rulers, elders, and scribes assembled in Jerusalem with Annas the high priest, Caiaphas, John, Alexander, and all the members of the high priestly family. Look at who these disciples are standing before. This is uh, Acts chapter 2, the Holy Spirit comes upon the disciples. Acts chapter 3, Peter and John heal a lame man. 
the miracle, the sign, the wonder, the power, right? In demonstration for all to see. And we think people are going to love it. And they do. 5,000 people come into the kingdom as a result of that one act. But you know what comes with the pressure? Or you know what comes with the, the product, the promise, the, the healing? Pressure. Opposition. They get arrested for that. Are you willing to demonstrate power that might get you arrested? Are you willing, uh, let's, just, let's just dumb it down a little bit. Maybe, maybe we're not ready to go to jail yet. Let's go here. Are you ready to demonstrate power that might make you unpopular? Are you willing to demonstrate power that might not get the likes? Are you willing to demonstrate the power that might get people deleting you from their contact list? Are you willing to demonstrate power that might get people to unfollow you online? Are you willing to demonstrate power that will set you apart, make you distinct, and and make you uh, uh, set apart in this day? There was pressure that came with that power. And now they're standing before the, the highest of government officials. I think there's a day, even naturally speaking, that we're going to see men of God standing before our highest officials in the law of the land, before presidents and before kings. And I know that sounds great. I'm being invited to the White House. I'm not talking about being invited to the White House because they want to hear what you have to say. I'm talking about being invited to the White House because we heard you're stirring up trouble. We heard you're disrupting things. We heard that you're challenging the way things ought to be. We heard that you don't like the agendas that we're pushing. We heard that you're violating the culture that we're trying to indoctrinate people with. We heard that you're standing against and you're causing a following. And that's what was happening here. They had Peter and John stand before them. They began to question them. And they're going to ask this question, guys, by what power or in what name have you done this? Now, he's not asking by what power because we want to repent and come under that. They're asking, what gives you the right? What gives you the right? Who's given you the authority? Who's authorized you? You know, what was interesting about this, like I just said, in Acts chapter 3, verse 1, it says, now Peter and John were going up to the temple for the time of prayer at 3 in the afternoon. What's that tell me? This was a regular custom. This was regular activity for them. This was just the regular religious activity. And they had no problem with that until somebody got healed. They had no problem with them going to the temple. They had no problem with their prayer at 3 o'clock in the afternoon. They had no problem with them opening the doors and, and, and choosing to pray to their God just like we all pray to our God. But the second we stand and say our God is the only God, our God's the one true God, and all your other gods are lies, and then we start demonstrating power of the kingdom, oh, you're going to disrupt some things. You're going to challenge some things. They're gonna get a, you're going to get arrested. Maybe not physically, but you're going to get arrested in people's minds. You're going to get arrested in people's hearts. And you're gonna, you may see, a, a, we're going to see great influx for the kingdom of God, but you're also going to see a great influx of pressure upon the people of God. It goes on to say in verse 13, when they observed the boldness of Peter and John. Notice Peter and John didn't cower down. Notice Peter and John didn't step back and say, whoa, 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 we're not trying to, come on. Let's let's just keep the peace. You're a peacemaker, but you're not a peacekeeper. Jesus himself said, I'm coming to bring a sword. 
Peace at all costs is spiritual terrorism. And the kingdom of God, the kingdom of God does not consort with terrorists. We're going to disrupt some things. We're going to dismantle some things. I'm believing we're going to see signs and wonders in these last days like we've never seen. I'm not talking let's reproduce the healing revival, the charismatic renewal, all the. I'm talking about better than what, I'm talking about what they wish they could have lived in. The greater, the, the latter will be greater than the former. But it's going to disrupt some things. And it's going to take some people to boldly preach and boldly stand in their witness. I'm not backing down. When they observed the boldness of Peter and John and realized they were uneducated and untrained men, meaning they didn't get this boldness on their own. We're talking about a supernatural boldness. The same Peter that denied Jesus three times stands up on the day of Pentecost and preaches 3,000 people come in and then is bold enough to heal a, a, a lame man and now is standing before these individuals, they were amazed and recognized that they had been with Jesus. And since they saw the man who had been healed standing with them, they had nothing to say in opposition. They won't be able to deny the power. They won't be able to to deny the miracles, the signs, and the wonders. They won't be able to deny that God's power is evident. They just won't like it. And so then they threatened them. Severe threats, it says. But look at verse 29. Peter and John go back to their own company, go back to their own people, and they prayed this. And now, Lord, consider their threats. Now, my prayer would have gone a lot different. Lord, consider your threat, consider their threats and burn them up. Lord, consider your threats and don't send me back out there again. Send someone else. I've done my part for the kingdom. I mean, this is more of a near-death situation than we know. And we know each of them ultimately paid the price of their lives for the kingdom of God. Lord, consider their threats and avenge me. No, look what they pray. Lord, consider their threats and grant your servants that your servants may speak your word with what? All boldness. They didn't ask for less problems, less pressure, less opposition. They asked for more boldness. Boldness, supernatural Holy Spirit power and boldness is boldness where you'll ask for the very thing that got you in trouble the first time. Isn't this good? And look what verse 30 says. While you stretch out your hand for healing, and signs and wonders. God, can you heal, but can, can, can you make it not so, you know, demonstrative? I mean, I'm okay with the healings, but does it have to be in front of everybody? No. They asked for more healings, more signs, more wonders. Performed through the name of your Holy servant Jesus. And when they prayed, the place where they were assembled was shaken, and they were all what? Filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak the word of God boldly. The Holy Spirit's the only way you get access to this power and to this boldness. Number two, 
I'm going to move quick. Worship team, y'all can be making your way. Number two, the power for the miraculous. Number one is power to preach boldly or power to witness. Number two is power for the miraculous. In Mark chapter 16 and verse 15, I'm going to go quick, so just jot them down. And he said to them, go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. We usually stop uh, right after this next verse. He who believes and is baptized will be saved, but who he who does not believe will be condemned. That's the great commission, right? That's We're all supposed to go out and make disciples. We've actually drained that down to just make converts, just get them to pray a quick prayer. He says, no, make disciples, uh, preach the gospel to every creature, preaching boldly. And then verse 17 says this, these signs will follow those who believe. What are those signs? In my name, they will cast out demons. They will speak with new tongues. They will take up serpents. And if they drink anything deadly, it will by no means hurt them. They will lay hands on the sick and they will recover. That's the miraculous. We need power to operate in the miraculous power. Signs and wonders, supernatural of the, I'm tired of trying to tear down principalities and powers on natural ability alone. I'm trying to be a good enough of a preacher and a good enough of a teacher and a good enough of a speaker to motivate and move you. We need words with power. We need signs and wonders to follow the preaching and teaching of the word. And it says that these signs will follow those that believe. If you are a believer, you qualify. If you're a believer, you're a candidate. If you believe, it will be done. Verse 19 says, So then, after the Lord had spoken to them, he was received up into heaven and sat down at the right hand of God. The right hand of God is the seat of authority. It's literally the place of authority. It's why you have access to the power. And they went out and preached everywhere, boldly, right? The Lord working with them and confirming the word through the accompanying signs. Guys, this includes casting out demons. It's time we get back to casting out demons. And that doesn't have to sound as weird as it sounds. It doesn't have to sound as hokey as it sounds. I believe a demonic force was destructed two weeks ago in the Supreme Court. That was not just a natural opposition. That was a spiritual force that was brought to nothing. Yeah. Taking up serpents drinking anything deadly, that doesn't mean we just go around snatching snakes and drinking poison. That means that anything of the devil, even spiritually that is brought against us, cannot win. The weapon may be formed, but it will not prosper. Number three. And this might be the most important one. We've got power to preach the word and witness. We got power for the miraculous. And number three, power to expose religion. Power to expose religion. Second Timothy chapter three, verse five, put it up on the screen for me. 
They will act religious, but they will reject the power that could make them godly. 2 Timothy 3, 5 in the message reads this way. They'll make a show of religion, but here it is, behind the scenes. Now again, my power and my intent and my motive is not to go in and uproot. But here's what's going to happen. When the real authentic power of God shows up, the counterfeit will also be exposed. The alternatives that people have bought into, the lies that people have accepted, the belief systems that people have led themselves to believe that are powerless, they will be exposed and they will be brought to nothing. Religion is exposed. The greatest thing about Jesus' ministry was it exposed all the religious activity that was keeping people bound. Jesus even told them, how dare you keep them restricted and bound in your religious activity, in trying to attain the standards they could never, in, in, in telling people to do this, but you're not even living it yourself. When the power of God shows up, religion the lights turned on. And I believe in this last day, the religious activity is going to be, I'm telling you, if it is found in this church, I want it out. That's my heart. Any of us can be susceptible to religious activity. Any of us can fall to that level of deception. But I'm praying that my heart is softened enough. I can have a stiff spine and a soft heart. That if there's any religion in me, I want it out. It's a cancer. It's toxic. It kills everything in its wake. Would you stand with me? I just want us to take a moment and want to ask the Lord for this power. The word tells us if we ask, he'll give it. Anything we ask for in his name. Now, if you don't really want the power because you don't want the pressure, then don't ask. But if you want the power, I just want you to lift your hand wherever you are. I'm not calling you down here. I'm not, we're not going to lay hands. We're not going to do any of that. You can receive it right where you're at. I want you to pray this with me. Say, Father, I want the power. I want the power of the Spirit to flow in me. Flow in my words. Flow in my hands. Flow in my motives. Flow in my heart. Flow in my life. I need your power. I call upon the Holy Spirit to fill me anew. Fill me once again that I may receive power. Power to preach boldly. Power to perform the miraculous. And power to expose the religious. In Jesus' name, amen. If you believe you received it, just shout amen. Shout amen. Shout amen. Come on, he's a powerful God. He's a mighty God. He's a strong God. He's a great God. He is not weak. His arm is not short. He's still performing. He's still moving. He's still working in power today. Thank you for taking the time to listen to our podcast today. We trust you received a word from God. If you enjoyed this teaching, be sure to subscribe to our podcast in iTunes. By subscribing, you'll be sure to receive a new message every week as soon as they are made available. 
And if you'd like to learn more about Anchor Faith Church, you can stop by our website at anchorfaithbaldosta.com. There you'll find our locations and service times, ministries that are available for you and your family. You can even give financially in support of the ministry. Thank you again for listening, and we look forward to seeing you next time right here on the Anchor Faith Church podcast.